1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. And there is the crack of the bat. We're live with the podcast, Detroit City of Champions, episode number 42. Oh, we're all about Joe Lewis, and it's all about the amazing 1935 year chronicled in a, a trilogy of books written by Charles Avis. I'm Jamie Flanagan, and we're just uh, unpacking these stories, uh, enjoying the heck out of them. And uh, we're on to Joe Lewis. Yep, we're, we've, we've uh, made it through the Tigers, the Lions, yep. the Red Wings, and uh, and uh, here we are with Joe Lewis. We, we're uh, making our way through. And people have made it along with us. And, and what I want to ask everybody to do right now is, uh, if you're listening, go to uh, whatever podcast listening um, platform, platform you yeah. use, and you either collect or subscribe or like, uh, share, like, share, whatever it is. Um, subscribe to the podcast. Subscriptions uh, are are reasonably priced. They are absolutely free. So yeah, that's a great price. So yeah, that's actually there why they've changed the name to uh, following, and, and because people thought it's like, oh, I got to subscribe to the podcast. So when people think of a subscription, they think they have to pay. You, know, you got to you pay for subscriptions. Sure. You know? uh, but uh, podcast, uh, generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, like this one, free. Yeah. Free, free for the taking. Free yeah, for the asking. I was, I was thinking about something today. I was telling the story to a lady in the store today, and um, and um, you know, it's you know, sort of my standards. This is the way I tell the story. You yeah. know, when I when I first meet somebody, they you know they've never heard of it before, and uh, and she, you know, you could tell she was, you know, it was she was somebody that's not necessarily interested in sports. Um, but she does love she does love Detroit, and she you know she does love history, just stories. And I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't love a good story? Right. And like, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's the, the thought that came to my head was, you know, she she was just like, this is like the greatest story, you know, like she, you know, it. Um, and I was just thinking to myself, like, kind of after I was done talking to her, it was just this weird feeling. I'm like, I mean, some it's not anything that I, like a revelation or anything, but the thought is like. This is a great story, man. Oh, unbelievable. This is an unbelievable story and it's and it's too good for it to it's it's too, it's this this story is coming back is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Right. This story is going to make its comeback. And for anybody that's listening to us right now or our sort of skeleton crew, you know, our yeah. our, our loyal followers. <laughs> um, this, yeah, this, the, you know, you are at the very beginning. You know, you will be you're here with us now and yeah. you'll be here with us uh, when when this thing makes its 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 comeback and it's going to make it and that was like what kind of dawned me down. I'm like like hey we're not trying to make this story come back this right. story is going to come back and you that are listening to us right now yeah you are at the ground level you are listening to it at the very beginning of our of this thing coming back and you're down an, the road it's going to be massive you're an early adopter yes I I remember listening to that exactly. Old school, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't start before episode thirty-five, yeah. man, that's you just what, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that you know there, we this this story this story is going to come back. This mm-hmm. story is going to come back in a big way. It's too great of a story for it to stay down long, and it's going to take one spark. It's going to take one person. That um, you know, like I say, that one opportunity yeah. to make this thing come back, and and once that's once we get that first spark, this thing is going to yeah. rock and roll, man. And it's like, 
And so yeah, so I, and like I say, thanks to anybody, to all those people that are listening. And um, so yeah, know. and if you haven't done so already, please collect, subscribe, uh, like, follow, whatever it is on whatever platform. Do it right now. Take a pause and then jump over and uh, subscribe to it. And then leaving a comment would be uh, uh, comments super, are great. Super we really, yeah, we love the comments. Uh, we enjoy uh, all our Facebook friends. Um, I want to try to do an episode because we've had some amazing people chime in um, on on the YouTube videos. Um, and on Facebook, uh, like sons, grandsons, cousins of people we've talked about. Um, and so uh, Garingers, uh, somebody related to, yeah. to them. Uh, there, there's been a few. And so uh, I, I, I want to I do an episode where we can reach out and uh, talk to those people sure. and just say hi. Sure. Um, and, and I've got some people on my, you know, like just on my Facebook that are like, that I've built, like, you know, Norma Smith is a, is a friend of mine. You know, like she's, you know, she invited me over to the house. I got a lot, a lot, ton of Red Wing stuff from her. Right. You know, people like that, you know, like there's. Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, I definitely want to definitely want to do that. So um, as as the show progresses, because there's so many stories to talk about, you know, absolutely. we've got the horses and the the boat and the golf and track Wait and till field. Wait we get to Garwood, and, man. And, yeah. Garwood is just going to be his. He's yeah his. Yeah, Gar, yeah, Joe Lewis is my favorite athlete. Um, Garwood is my favorite story, and, and that's, uh, that's yeah. going to be fun. That's going to be a fun one. And so, but we are boxing, and we are uh, working our way through the Joe Lewis story, the Joe Lewis portion of uh, yep. 1935. And that's the the amazing thing. He's not one of the 33 champions. He's, yeah, he didn't win his um, championship. In he, he was athlete of the year yeah. from the Associated Press. Was yes, that the award? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, athlete of the year from the Associated Press, but. But that's what's crazy. Uh, still is that did not the 30, have the championship belt. Yeah, with there's 33 championships in this season. And I tracked down 33 championships, and and Joe wasn't. You know, Joe was a, the headliner of the group, but he mm-hmm, wasn't mm-hmm. the champion. He wasn't a champion 35. That's what's sort of like kind of you know ironic or kind of odd is that he was the headliner, yet he was not among the 33 championships. Right. Um. But but as a, you know, the, the the header of the episode says, and we've stated at the very beginning of this, despite the fact that he did not win his championship in this season. I make a case in book number two, and we're making a case with this segment of the show Mm -hmm. focusing on Joe Lewis, that what Joe Lewis did in 1935 was so so amazing, was so great, that 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 I'm making the claim that this was the greatest individual season in the history of American sports, despite him not winning his championship. Um, I like I say that that is I I believe that we have a case, an incredible case to make. That this was the greatest individual season, and that despite him not winning the championship, right. you see. So, so he we're already starting out with a handicap because all these other great seasons that you're we're going to be, you know, that they're mm-hmm. that are to compare to that are all capped off with the usually a, a trophy or usually, a ring or a, yeah, they usually begin with the fact that that person won a championship yeah. or won a you know you know was part of like the signature moment of a, some championship accomplishment, and then they work down from there. They're like, not only were they championship, but they're also an MVP, and then they won like three you know an yeah. All Star, and yeah, they yeah. won like the batting championship, and they did this and that and this and that and so they usually work down from there yeah for us we start out with a, a handicap that we can't start with beginning to make a case for joe lewis and this this being the greatest season ever individual season ever we start with a handicap that joe did not win the championship right right and so we have to work down from there but so, that is that's what we're saying that the 35 year was was the greatest individual, individual season season and even if, though he didn't cap it with a championship yeah, that's what i'm saying so we're starting out with the handicap of that and th- despite that handicap i'm going we're going to make a case that this was indeed the greatest individual season. So we talked about the Brewster, uh, where he got his starts. We talked about uh, some history in the boxing, uh, and that's bringing us up 
to uh, where Joe starts having some uh, legitimate, serious Amateur fights. success. Yeah. Am- he, he, went, he has fought his way through the amateur ranks. Golden Gloves. Last golden episode gloves. was all about Last the Golden, golden gloves. gloves. Yeah, Golden Gloves in Detroit. Then he went on to Chicago and was like the pre, like his 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 performance in Chicago, which was the 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 real the the center, you know, the the, the where the national like you would win your gold gloves in Detroit mm-hmm. and like gold glove champions from every big city across the country would all then descend on Chicago, right? And so they would all sort of just so that was the real gold gloves. And if you won in Chicago, that's when you know you're a, you were something special. And Joe won in Chicago, right? So, so now he's got the choice: does he stay amateur? Does he go pro? Well, so here, so that was that was the situation facing him and John Roxborough was was that he had just he was sort of at the pinnacle of the amateur career, but he was a light heavyweight. Mm-hmm. He was a light heavyweight, which is one step below a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's all of course based on your you know how how your weight class. And so, um, did he get bumped from something by like an ounce? Was it? Oh yeah, that was it. so he was he was ready to fight in the international. Um, uh, so he was like he had so he was. After Chicago, he was there was an international championship yeah, in Chicago yeah, yeah, where he yeah. was about to face you know a, a strong Polish team, mm-hmm. and he was disqualified uh, because he was two ounces over the 175 pound light heavyweight limit. Yeah, and so he would have had to fight as a heavyweight, but he didn't win the heavyweight belt you know to get himself sure, there. So yeah. he wasn't he wasn't he couldn't plan it, and so and then they found out and then there was like a, he got arrested during this fight in this like sort of bum rap. Yeah. They found out that there was a, these gamblers had like you know had interfered and potentially even done something to the scales. That's, uh, you know, that's a that's a debate for some for you know for history. He's but, like, can I run to the restroom for a second? Because if it's only two ounces, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So that's what I mean. So you know, and so you know, as and so like we put in a little context about when that was going on. Yeah, was that Joe that. Uh, so in in 1934, it's early 1934 um, that uh, that you know that these that the Detroit Gold Gloves, the Chicago Gold Gloves are happening, um, and then at, so at that moment the Tigers are in spring training. Yes, and then so and so then um, and so in June, July, which is when he announces that he's going to go pro, or uh, that was when the Lions came into Detroit as well. So okay. this is. You know, so this is you know, a whirlwind. Of, yeah, it's so, all a, a what eighteen month span. Yeah, so all this of is these. Very, yeah, well, I mean, this in this span right here, the thirty four. This is like a few. You know, this is like six months. Yeah, where he went, you know, amateur, but it would be a whirlwind because he would finish up the year as a pro. Right. Um, but we'll get to that. So, um, so a lot of the things that you pulled for your book came from. Yeah, we got the the image of the book up on the screen, uh, and you have the book there with you, uh, Joe Lewis. What's it? Was it? Uh, so yeah, I just want to get so hope. he's twenty yeah, so he's twenty years old by the, in nineteen thirty four, okay. just to let you know. Okay. So that's what I was looking for was how old he I thought he, that was the next 20. question you're asked. Yeah, twenty years old. So um but yeah, so you know, my book really focused on the thirty four and thirty five seasons and mm-hmm. him as a pro. I yeah. did a very brief uh, run through of his, you know, sort of amateur career, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but that's why you know that's why I broke out the and Richard that's why Back we're doing book. that's when that's why we're doing the podcast exactly. So we but can that's spend why more time. I, but that's why I broke out Richard Back's um, Great right. Black Hope by uh, Joe Lewis. Like I say, we've said before, Richard Back is really the dean of Detroit sports yeah. um, historians. Uh, that's somebody I'd love to meet on the show. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, like if yeah, yeah. if we if our if we get to the point where we're like we could bring in like special guests and call up big namers like. Um, he's a big name for me. I would love. I've been reading his book since I was a kid, and okay. so I would absolutely love to meet him one day. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so a lot of the information we've been talking about for the last few uh, episodes have really been coming from this Richard Back's book um, because uh, it is. If you haven't read it, it's a ph- phenomenal book. It's mm-hmm. a really a, it's whole. It's his whole life story. 
but he does a tremendous job, um, you know, painting a, uh, this picture of Joe Lewis, you know, you know, when he coming from, Al- you know, his birth, his family coming from Alabama to Detroit, the, you know, the Detroit of the 20s and 30s. It's, he paints this phenomenal picture. Um, so it's a highly recommended, highly recommended book. So um, so anyway, so Joe, so what we left off is Joe has just, you know, done all this. You know, he's 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 risen to the top of the light heavyweight championship amateur you know the amateur mm-hmm. world yeah. as a light heavyweight championship and so john roxborough who was the guy who really was the first uh, major person in joe joe's life to like you know he started putting money in joe and started you know allowing joe to you know to focus on boxing instead of work yeah um and you know actually you know give him shoes clothes feed him good yeah. do stuff that he needs well, I mean, to do if you're going to pro you really I well mean, but i mean a... he at the time he john roxborough was financing him when he was an amateur yeah so he was putting money in him as an amateur and as such he had exclusive rights to if Joe did go pro, okay. then he had exclusive rights to make money off Joe. That's how mm-hmm, it works. Mm-hmm. That's how, you know, if you identify a promising amateur, you put money into him, they sign a contract with you. When they go pro, that's how you make your money. Right. You see, that's, so is that's he a reputable guy, though? He's, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. John Roxburgh's a very solid guy. Okay. So, you know, he would like, you know, he made his money in, you know, he made his, you know, he made his money in running numbers, which we talked about a little bit in the last show. Um, he made his money in running numbers. Then he, you know, he sort of like uh, made it, you know, legit money. Um, you know, running numbers was akin to the lottery, like basically running a, yeah. a lottery style yeah, yeah. system. We talked, yeah, we talked yeah about and that. so, uh, and then he took the money that he made from the running numbers and he put it into real estate. Yeah. So he, you know, and to make it, you know, sort of turn it into legitimate money. And Wander so, it, okay? Yeah, and it's, <laughs> sure. You could, it's okay. but it doesn't necessarily, yeah. you know, take yeah, yeah, away yeah. from the fact that he was also a philanthropist. You know, sure. I mean, he put money into the community. Um, he was looking for, pro, you know, promising, you know, and in uh, one of the th- points that Richard Back makes in his book that we are, we also mentioned was. The idea that um, a lot of these, you know, people that ran numbers and you know that did this kind of, kind of stuff, they put like they were some of the people that that um, financed like the entire the entire uh, Negro League baseball league. Right. You know, all the different teams across the you know the Negro leagues for baseball. A lot of the the financiers were people that ran numbers. So like these people that you know they actually used the, you know the, you know some of the, they call them you know ill gotten gains. Um, you know, towards the benefit of the entire community. You see, like so. Um, it's you know so there's something to be said for for that and so in this case you know the money you know it's it's tough to say that you know it was the money from running numbers that ran into Joe in this case but it, because it was it could have been you know money that from his from his real estate component too yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it didn't diminish from the fact that by all you know from from every account I've read that um, John Roxborough was a solid guy he was a nice guy mm-hmm. um, personable type of a guy. Um, and so, uh, and so, and that's who like really, you know, was able to put money in Joe's pocket during his amateur career to boost him, you know, so that allowed Joe to not have to work and allowed Joe to train and eat for the first time instead of eating hot dogs and ice cream, you know, every single day. Now he's eating steak and good food, you know, in order to train and, right. you know, and actually had shoes that he could run in instead of like, you know, <laughs> you know, duct tape around some leather and his yeah, feet yeah, and some yeah. real boxing gloves and some nice clothes and stuff. So... Yeah, so John Roxburgh was the first guy, you know, that really, you know, that you know, while Joe was an amateur to get him going. So, um, and so this, you know, the strategy that John Roxborough had for Joe was, mm-hmm. okay, now you know you've just won the light, you know, you've risen to the the, the pinnacle of the light heavyweight, you know, amateur. So now in 1935, why don't we focus on getting you through the? So we want to put you, you know, put a few pounds on you, you know, get some muscle on you. And now we're going to go through the 1935 as you were the heavyweight. Right. You're going to go through the heavyweight amateur ranks and win the gold gloves as a heavyweight. And that positions you to do now to go into the pros as a heavyweight. Okay. You see? 
And so, so he's a light heavyweight. Yeah. And uh, so he's a shade under 175 pounds at 20 years old. At 20 years old. All right, so, so the next gonna... phase. So the so, so the, the so John Roxborough's theory was, let's one more year mm-hmm. as an amateur, and you're we're gonna fill, you know we're gonna put some muscle on you. You're gonna go to the you know you're gonna go to the Chicago Gold Gloves again, but this time you're gonna win it as a heavyweight. Right. And then you're really gonna be on the map, you know, for the pro world. But that but Joe was like, I don't have time to do that. Uh, I don't have to. I need to start making money. Yeah, I need to start making money. I'm not making any money. John Roxborough at this moment is going through a divorce, so he doesn't. So his his finances are limited as well. Sure, they're you know they're and at, for all intents and purposes they're eking, They're just barely scraping by. I mean you know they're Roxborough's giving him you know he at one point the best he could really do was to get Joe a job while he's worrying about you know trying to get through this divorce. And so he's um so he's you know they're not finance they're by no means are they really financially you know you know doing well right now and that's why Joe's like I'm ready now I've got to do this now I got to make money you know I'm I I feel like I'm ready to go and you know and so and he and he convinced and he was the one that convinced Roxborough um that that to you know that he wanted to turn pro and so Roxborough knows at this moment he's like well I you know he, again he's going through this divorce and so he doesn't have a ton of money and they knows that. The training that Joe has been getting thus far has just been, you know, has been adequate enough to get him to the amateur ranks. But if he's going to go pro, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Okay, Joe needs a real trainer, a real professional boxing trainer. Yeah, and he also, but and even you know, and also he needs somebody with with more money to help that like than John Roxborough has because John Roxborough again is you know you know having a tough financial moment, and so he also they need some kind of you know somebody with connections, somebody that can you know sort of help arrange the fight, somebody with any kind of experience in the pro game whatsoever because Roxborough does not have that. You know, he'd like to break into that world, and that's what he's trying to get into, but he doesn't currently at this moment have it. So he reaches out to a friend of his named Julian Black, who is mm. who is um, who is a, lives in Chicago. And uh, Julian, so Julian Black um, is uh, so you know uh, he's also a numbers runner in Chicago, but the and he's the uh, Julian Black is from uh, Wisconsin. And he um, and so he was a he was a, f- a former again running numbers, but he instead of just doing real estate, Julian Black put his money into a speakeasy, which uh, was called the Elite Number Two. Right, and so so it's a, so he's running a speakeasy during the you know during prohibition. Are they still open? Can we go? It sounds like a cool place. <laughs> I, I just like, I want to. I, I, I really kind of want to go. I'm about to Google yeah, that. Yeah, it's, but it's kind of a cool name, and it's like, like elite number two. Yeah, so he so that's what that was like really his big thing. Uh, and so you know, and we have a photo. I don't know if you can put that up, but um, we have a photo of, of uh, Julian Black. Um, uh, chap. I got I got Chappie, I got the managers, and I got uh, the, yeah the managers one. Okay. I think that's it. There you go. All right. Yeah. So so there's that. Oh, there might be another one too. Anyways, so Julian Black is sort of the, Julian Black is like kind of the opposite of John Roxborough, whereas like they both were like you know somewhat in the same profession, but Julian whereas John Roxborough was like a really nice, um, like sort of like a nice guy, like you know came across kind of like a you know like a welcoming, friendly, jovial type person. Julian Black was a lot more like sort of um, Richard Back described him as like cold and calculating, you know. A little, you know, he was like sort of a little bit more of a cold personality, like what can you do for me type okay. of thing. You know, really, um, yeah, just like a, a business, a, a bit more pragmatic. Like yes, yeah, he's entering this. Not deal. quite the philanthropy. It's it's yeah, he's exactly a guarded. Investment. What can you do for me? Yeah. Exactly, like what, like Joe, I'm interested in financing you, but uh, you're gonna make me money. You know what I mean? Like right, that's right. what that's what I'm getting into this for. Like that type of personality. 
And so, uh, so that was so that's you know, and you can tell it, and all. That's why I was asking about the, to show the photo because when you look at pictures of Julian Black, like when you see pictures of John Roxborough, you can kind of tell just by his look. Yeah, you know, he looks like a, you know, he's like smiling, and he's kind of you know, like affable type of a you know character in every photo you see him in. Whereas Julian Black, and when you see him, he's got that look on his face that you can just you can tell. <laughs> if you say these are Joe Lewis's two or first original managers, right. which one is Julian Black and which one is John Roxborough, based on the description we just gave you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you yeah. will be able to tell from looking at the, the, the pictures. And yeah. I actually, I think the, I think there is another picture I have, which is there is no, another. I thought there was another. Oh, was it only three? Okay. Yeah. Um, but you can tell kind of in that picture too. He's got the slick black hair. Yeah, like um, that, that was that, yeah, that was from the yeah. other. Okay. So, anyways, um, so yeah, so so Julian Black buys, uh, gives John Roxborough two thousand dollars for a half interest in Joe. Okay. So he so now so now Julian Black is half owner of you know the rights to Joe Lewis for two thousand dollars. Keep okay. that number in mind because you know, like I say, as we go through, we're going to be talking about some of these numbers that Joe is earning. Sure. And you'll be talking about the, like what a tremendous investment that this was for Julian Black for two thousand dollars. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. And so, anyways. Um, and so Julian Black is, you know, so now he because so now it's John Roxborough, Julian Black, and Joe Lewis. So now this leaves the final component of a trainer. Okay, they need a trainer for Joe, mm-hmm. and and so uh, so so Julian Black had uh, even the words of Richard back from his book. He knew exactly the guy he wanted to get. Okay, he knew exactly the guy, and this guy's name was Jack Blackburn. Okay. okay? And we do, yeah. We have a photo. He's on that same photo there too, but I think there's another picture. I mean, he's a boxer. The boxing images. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so, the, so one of the one of the great like uh, like anybody that's seen Rocky or you know some of these these movies that have like that that trainer. You know, we're like Rocky's such a perfect example. Lay off the dames, exactly. Rocky. Yeah, like weaken the legs. Mickey, you know, Mickey, where he's, you know, he's that hard bitten old fighter who's all yeah. crusty and all like you know that like that. It's almost like, like that guy. That like that's like that, that sort of mythical, like yeah. legendary sort of boxing trainer thing. And that's exactly who Jack Blackburn was, but nice. in real life. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's why like in the movie for the for the screenplay of the movie, he was such a joy to write this character. Okay, in, yeah. okay, because like. He, that's exactly who he was. Is this hard bitten old old fighter who was like just a beast in his day, uh, but he was like a small, skinny, wiry beast. Like you know, he, they, uh, born in Versailles, Kentucky, in eighteen eighty three, um, began fighting at the age of sixteen. All right, five foot nine, one hundred and thirty five to one hundred and forty five pounds. Fought as a light as a lightweight or a welterweight. Um, but he, but he fought all weight classes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was so he fought anybody, despite the fact that he was small. Sure. And so like he fought the best fighters of his day. Um, and, you know he was de- of course denied any chance of a you know legit like sort of heavyweight mm-hmm. or any you know big name stuff. But he fought the biggest fighters, especially black fighters of his day. He fought. So we've mentioned Sam Langford in a previous episode, who um, was a, one of the best fighters of the, of the era. Um, he, he fought four draws and two no decisions versus Sam Langford. He had two draws and one loss to Joe Gans, who was the first black lightweight heavyweight champ. All right. I'm sorry, I said first black lightweight. I keep saying light light heavyweight. It's lightweight champ. Um, and so, uh, um, so in 19 so um, so the 19 so it, when he lost to Joe Gans in 1904, that was the first loss of of Jack Blackburn's eight year career. So he'd been fighting for eight years up until the point where he met Joe Gans, who was the first black lightweight champ. And he lost to Joe Gans. That was the first loss he took in his in eight years, like the first eight years of his career. That's how good he was. He had not had a loss in eight years up to that point. 
So that was 1904. 1907 uh, fought six one-round fights in the same night, and three of the guys that he fought, he knocked out. So that was 1907. 1908, he fought Jack. He didn't fight Jack Johnson. He sparred with Jack Johnson in in, in a sparring session. Um, you know, you're the you know Jack Johnson is the is the is the champ. Yeah. He's the one that's the guy that gets to beat you up. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to beat the the get the, the him up. You know what I mean? You're a sparring partner. You're just there as basically a human punching bag. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. you're supposed to give him a workout, but you're not supposed to to damage him. <laughs> and anyways, and he damaged Jack. He oh. bloodied him. He punched him in the face, <laughs> you know, blew out his nose or something. Bloodied Jack Johnson in a sparring session. Jack, what were you thinking? Which led to a lifetime feud with Jack Johnson. They uh. hated each other. So he knew Jack Johnson well and he hated him. <laughs> and so um but the, so when so but what, like but uh, so um, so uh, Jack so one of the, so the most distinguishing feature of Jack, of Jack Blackburn was this deep knife scar in his cheek. Oh, because he had a, it was a result of a um, of of a he had a, he was a, he was a raging alcoholic. Okay, raging alcoholic. Okay, and so in that knife scar was a result of a night you know of of, of fighting or doing getting drunk and fighting or something. Yeah. Um, it, where he was known to have a, uh, a, a, again, according to the book, Richard Bax, uh, a murderous temper, a murderous temper when he was drunk. Cool. That's how, yeah. Okay. So that knife scar was a result of some night, you know, of, you know, getting. It was a not a, gla- a not a Glasgow smile. But, no, uh, this was across his entire cheek. All right. Was this huge scar, and so in so in January 1909, it during one of these murderous rages, he shot three people and killed one of them. So he shot. He uh, he killed a guy named Alonzo Polk, um, he, and he also shot Polk's wife, and he shot his own girlfriend, Blackburn's girlfriend. Jack mm. Blackburn shot his own girlfriend or mistress or whoever she was, um, you know, whoever, you know. And so he shot three people that night. One of them he killed, and he was sentenced to fifteen years in jail. And he only and he, had, he got out after only serving four. And some you know somehow he got out after only serving four. That's, that's the rumor was that he had he helped to like teach the warden's kids how to box or something. Yeah. So he was yeah. So he went to jail for murder. Nope. Went to jail for killing a guy, and then he was out in four. You know he was in sentence for fifteen years in jail. Uh-huh. So when he gets out of jail in 1913, he resumed fighting and he fought for ten more years. Um, there's his there's his record his fight record is somewhat difficult to come to exact to numbers, like it's tough to say like you know some sources say he had like you know ninety percent win rate and other ones say like seventy so I don't really want to list the numbers yeah but I'll just say like in general so he fought he he won he won way more than he lost let's say it like that and so he, and so the official fight counts say that he had one hundred and sixty eight fights. But unofficially, he had fought over four hundred times. That was like what what he, according to his accounts, was that he had fought over four hundred fights, which is like, I mean, that's an insane number of fights. You yeah. Know? And so, um, so after he finishes his his fight career, um, in nineteen twenty six, he well, he becomes a trainer. And so in nineteen twenty six, he is the trainer for a guy named Sammy Mandel, and who uh, Sammy Mandel becomes the um, the light the lightweight champion. So he's the trainer for the lightweight champion of the world, okay? And then in 1927, the very next year, he's a co-trainer for a guy named Bud Taylor who wins the bantamweight championship. Nice. Right? So he's a trainer. So, like He's showing success as a trainer in Blackburn's developing these championships. Chops. Exactly. And so, um, so, that was, so that was 1927. Mm-hmm. And so um, in 1934, so it's a few years after this, he is in. He's been. This guy's been bouncing around the country doing whatever, right? Drinking, training boxers, and you know, 
doing uh-huh. whatever. And so, anyway, so by 1934, he's in Chicago, and he's and he's just and he's in this gym called George Trafton's Gym, mm. which is like this, you know, I mean, it's a it's a boxing gym, you know, it's a, they're training and everything, and um and he's just there training random fighters, making money, you know, giving lessons or whatever. Right. And George Trafton was a former NFL player for the Chicago Bears, mm. this big, you know, big, you know, you know, Bears. and stuff, yeah. And so anyway, so he's there, and so and so uh, Julian Black is like knows about this guy, and he's like this guy, you know, Joe. Here's Joe, like this, this you know little puppy dog, you know, like <laughs> shy, sweet, sweet yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. sweetheart of a hey, guy. Here's this cat mama who's up for murder. I, yeah, like yeah, like you know, Joe, like you know, the story we told about Joe, like his mama, you know, he's like. You know, you know, Joe's mom was like, you know, he's a he's a good boy. Take care of him, Mister Roxborough. You know, take care of my boy. You know, Joe's like, Mama, don't do that. You know, he's like, you know, he's all. He just, Joe's this like sweet, nice guy, and he and he, the guy he's gonna train be trained with. That's why the story is so fantastic because he's goes to he's goes to meet up with he goes to meet Jack Blackburn. He's got this knife scar. You know, he's just this crusty old trainer who goes because his first thing he says to Joe, the first thing he says. They, they 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 go they the John Roxburgh and Julian Black go to the gym with Joe and they says we want you to train our fighter and 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 uh, 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 Jack Blackburn looks at him and says where's the white boy at where's where's that white boy at and he's like they're like no well it's it's not a white boy it's J- this guy and he goes I'm not training him he said he's like he said he and I could read to the quote but he says black he goes black guys I don't make any money training black fighters. They don't get any good fights, uh-huh. and so Jack Blackburn was, you know, he he. This guy was he, he grew up in this boxing world. Yeah, He's yeah. like, what black boxers don't make any money? Yeah. He's like, they don't. There's not. Wow. There's, they, they can't get any fights. Wow. They're not. They're not going to go to the top of anything. They're not going to get any opportunities to win any championships <laughs> and draw real purses. Yeah. And that's how I make my money is right, getting right. cuts of the purses as they increasingly go. It's not because sure. it's not worth my time. Yeah. yeah. To train, I'm a you know I'm a legit boxing trainer, and I'm not gonna I'm not training you know, I'm not training training him you know yeah yeah and so um <laughs> and so the way that they were able and he said he, and that's and when he said in the I can read the quote or I can just sort of you know say it on my own words but he says uh you know I'm not he goes unless this unless you got a world beater he's not worth my time mm. and that's when Jack Blackburn and, and and Julian Black they look and they say he's a world beater. He is nice. a world beater. So these guys and had be- faith in him. They have faith in him. And not only that, but they were like, not only that, not only that, Jack, but we are going to give you a like basically guaranteed money to train him. Oh, like a good solid wage that was above and beyond like what a normal trainer would get. Jack's like, well, you have my attention. Exactly. <laughs> they, that's what it was. Is they in essence sort of you know they it wasn't just the fact that like well he is a world beater and he was like hmm okay I will do it you know yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. It's like they're like <laughs> and here's the salary and here's some more extra money. Uh, <laughs> He's like okay deal. Uh, like, you, you have know? my attention. So yeah I'm now back, you really have my I'm attention. Back yes. In. Yeah, and so, um, and so, anyways, so, so this is like, sir, I've actually got the quote. I wanted yeah. to read this. Yeah, yeah. So bring this it up, is like because it's a great book, man. Yeah, it is. We it's keep we keep raving book. about yeah. this, and yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. So they, uh, so, okay. So this is so this is uh, Blackburn sort of his own words. So when he first meets Joe, he said, um, "So bring around this white boy, and I'll look him over." Blackburn answered. Told that Joe was black, he quickly had a change of heart. I won't have no truck with a colored boy, he said. Colored boys ain't got ain't got no chance of ain't got much chance fighting nowadays unless they happen to be world beaters. 
And then so and that was you know that's his initial reaction. It, now this is coming from is from the book, but where is it pulled from? That's, is it's it, very. Uh, there's a lot of there's I've I've seen other sources that that mention that this. So like, I mean, Joe it sounds like words. Yeah, dialogue. Yeah, I, it doesn't have the this. Is, the it, is it from an article? Back. Is it from you know? It's at the the citation at the back, but it's that's a well. Okay. No, that's actually a well known th- component. It's in other right, books. I, don't, I, I won't have no truck with. I yeah. love that that, yeah. that language. Yeah. The, so um and so uh so when Joe first met Blackburn, the world weary trainer had. Just and this is Richard Back's words. Uh, when Joe first met Blackburn, the world weary trainer had just turned 51 and was showing the effects of arthritis and alcoholism. Nonetheless, said Freddie Gunyard, who was later who would later share a room with Blackburn after becoming a member of the Entourage, he was the man who made Joe great. Oh. Blackburn's initial impression of his new charge, a big, easygoing Negro boy with high water pants and too much arms for his coat sleeves, was far from overwhelming. So you think you can get somewhere in this fighting game? He said, Joe. Or he asked Joe, well, let me tell you something right off. It's next to impossible for a Negro heavyweight to get anywhere. He's got to be very good outside the ring and very bad inside the ring. Mr. Roxborough, who has known you for quite a while, is convinced that you can be depended on to behave yourself, but you've got to be a killer. Otherwise, I'm getting too old to waste any time on you. Wow. So as, we had, as, as we've talked about, the, you know, that was one of the things that Joe that was the, you know, one of the issues that Joe was going had and would you know and would have um, was that that he didn't like he wasn't a, a killer right he didn't want to in fact the one fight we talked about at the end he would have won he would have knocked this guy out to, to end this one tournament and he did and he didn't finish him off because he didn't want to hurt the guy yeah and so he didn't have that you know that you know that mm. that that kill you know that killer instinct. And so, and that was the thing that. Um, that so they got to bring that out a little they've bit. Got, not a little bit. They got to bring it out a lot. And yeah. so that's what um, Blackburn. That's what Blackburn is going to have to do. That's what his job is going to have to be, is to bring you know this. And what better person is this guy than, yeah. you know, than Jack Blackburn? Well, than a killer. Yeah. Than, <laughs> than a guy with a murderous <laughs> oh, rage and an actual killer. You know, you know, a guy who's like, you know, like who actually like. And so and that. But the thing about it is, is that what we're going to see here, especially yeah. as the story unfolds, is. You know, here's these two guys. Here's these two guys that are totally, you know, like totally polar opposites. You know, like Jack Blackburn is, this, as you said right there, you know, the quote, a world weary traveler who's been through the ring wars, who's got a, you know, who's got this murderous temper, who's got this, uh, you know, a total alcohol, you know, a string of alcoholism, knife scar from some crazy, you know, drunken night. You know, a rap sheet for murder. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is like, and, you know, this, and now he's got this, you know, Joe, who is like this complete opposite of all of those things. Complete opposite. Yeah. He's a sweetheart. You know, I don't think we can walk around. He's a complete opposite of all those things. And I think that what's going to, you know, and so what emerges between these two guys is this, um, is this, you know, they both help each other out. You know what I mean? They both teach each other things. It's not just one way. Right. It's not just Jack Blackburn teaching Joe to be a killer. Sure. He's also teaching, you know, he's teaching Joe about like this is why I'm like this, you know? Mm-hmm, like I've mm-hmm. been through the hell. I've been a hard ass life, you Joe, know? Joe's had a pretty hard ass life. And Joe too, has too on the but, way. And he has to show you know, you know, Jack Blackburn potentially this side, which is like you can have this, I've, yeah. you can be good. You know, yeah. you can have this. You know, you know, you you don't have to be you know completely brutal. You know, all the time. Like you know, he kind of brings him into this. You know, like this world of like the you know the, where he where he's Still. a genuinely good person, and that Jack's life is not just. You know, like it's got it brings a, a sense of meaning, especially as Joe yeah. starts to become like this inspiration for an entire 
you know, country in a, in a world of... And there, you know, and there was this uh, group of African-Americans around him, supporting yeah, him, yeah. And, and helping build what he became. Exactly. But but what I'm saying, though, too, is that, you know, you know here's Jack Blackburn, who's just been, you know, you know totally basically living a self-centered life for his entire existence. Mm-hmm. And now he's, you know, now there's he's part of something bigger than himself, yeah. that he's building a, you know, a, a, a hero for the, you know, that for the entire... You know, African American. You know, you know, Black America, who's never had a legit hero that was celebrated by the press and part of the entire, um, you know, you know, part of the entire American experience where everybody, everybody loves some type of thing. Like Joe's, this, you know, he's the first like universally, um, you know, admired, you know, black athlete, and so in, in Jack Blackburn gets to be a part of this whole experience, and he gets to be, you know, to help shape this. And so I think that there's, I think it's not, it's not just one way where Jack just teaches him all this stuff. I think that Joe brought a certain, like I say, this you know sense of meaning and peace to Jack's life as well. So I think it went both ways. And one of the fasc- I love that. I, I, I yeah. love that part of it. And so one of the fascinating things which emerges out of this um, uh, relationship is the is the, and so as these two start to develop, like they start to become like you know like. So Joe moves to Chicago, uh-huh. and so and so and, and, and he began, he uh, moves into an apartment uh, owned by a guy named Bill Bottoms. Was there a bigger fighting scene in Chicago? Is well, that why? well, Chicago was uh, according to Richard Back's book. Chicago was uh, the South Side of Chicago was replacing Harlem as the capital of Black America. Okay, so it was a it was just, you know there was where all the culture the, was the culture, money, everything you know was really yeah. becoming like this you know okay. you know and so anyways um, so Joe moves into an apartment owned by run by a guy named Bill Bottoms. Who like serves as Joe's cook and his chaperone to make sure he uh, doesn't do anything wrong? If his nickname isn't Naughty, I don't. Yeah, care. and so he gets bottoms, and he gets so. into this routine where he gets into a routine where he's doing road works, you know, running yeah, yeah. six miles a day. Um, he's sleeping and he's sleeping. He, he road work at six a.m. You know, runs six miles in every morning. Yeah. naps until eleven a.m. Followed by a big breakfast, gym in the afternoon. You know, working out. Followed by a big dinner at night. Um, occasional movies were allowed. Women were forbidden. Oh. Um, and as such, and so, the dames rock. Exactly. Yeah. And weaken no the women, legs. No women. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so anyways, um, and so, uh, you know, as he's, you know, so, you know, Jack Blackburn is there for all of it. He's the one that's running around with Joe. Yeah. He's the one. And that's, I got a picture of him running with Joe. Oh. Um, and so it, and so they're, and so these these two men became close very quickly. You know, they saw these these different components to each other. They could you know that they that they liked. And so I got another quote here. Um, that's uh, they, they, Richard Back does a phenomenal job of sort of talking so, about this blossoming it, relationship. Is this uh, nickname Chappie? Well, that's what. So that's what I'm trying to get to. Oh, is, is that? But but that's what's so cool is is that these two guys are going to call each other Chappie. They oh. both call each other Chappie. Oh, so Joe calls Jack Blackburn Chappie, and Jack calls him that. All right. So whenever, so they they that was their special name that they called each other. Because you called up, you called up the jogging photo, and I'm yeah, like, that Chappie. doesn't say Blackburn. That says it's Chappie. Just Chappie, on because they're both on there. They're Fair both enough. running. Yeah. So that's so that's what they called each other was Chappie. I just so I just like to. I mean, could you see? Could you imagine in the movie? Where they're calling each other Chappie all the movie? Like it's you, silly. You it's would, funny. Yeah, but you would grow it's to like, love these guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you just we would just, you know, you, you, I mean, if you grow to love them now, of course, but <laughs> but in a movie where they're sitting there, you know, where you can see this meeting between these two guys, mm-hmm. you know, and in the way I wrote Jack Black, we're not to you know, spoiler alert. Don't listen if you want to hear some of the stuff that comes in the movie. But the way I wrote it was in 34, when you know Jack Blackburn is who he is, who, who we've just described. But in 35, when they start making money, 
I got Jack Blackburn, so we got his teeth capped in gold. So he's uh. like, <laughs> so he's now he's got the scar and everything, but now he's got the gold teeth. You know, I got him capped in gold. Oh my god! I, I read it somewhere. I read somewhere that he that he had. had oh, that he really done. did that. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. My god. Everything in the movie is is is. Uh, I follow. I usually is from seeing something somewhere. That, you know, it, I had it had to be some kind of a fact or very closely okay. to the fact. For me All right. To, so to that's not just a silly bit. No. that he actually did. But it's cool because he's like teeth. because that's like how the the thirty five segment yeah. opens up is Jack's like training you, Joe you and think he that, smiles. You, you Think that uh, yeah. you think that's like a contemporary thing with the the gold teeth? Yeah, but so... it, but I use it as a mechanism to show yeah. at that point in the movie because there, there was a there's a so montage. these rappers today they got nothing no, nothing's yeah. original no yeah the, Chappie was yeah. doing this Ch- yeah. in thirty four yeah so thirty five yeah so that so it's so I, and I used it as a as a way to show <laughs> like it was a it was sort of a, a mechanism to show because we'll Joe, take that little Joe John. was finally making money and there was like sort of a montage prior to that showing how they was he was fighting Yay. to make money did he and say they, yeah a lot. I'm not sure about that, but, <laughs> but anyway. So here's a little quote that kind of summarizes. Like I say, I think that uh, I think that uh, Richard Back does a great job uh, talking about. So he says, uh, um, so uh, it starts back here. So so what? So this is a, again talking, getting back to that uh, killer mentality yeah. in the problem. Said one aspect of Joe's makeup troubled Blackburn. However, it seemed he seemed to lack a killer instinct. He didn't have any blood in his eye. He once told an interviewer he didn't go out to murder the boys in the gym. Didn't have the killer's instincts, so I knows right then what I got what I got to do, and I does it. Blackburn revamped Joe's mobile defense-oriented philosophy, a legacy of Holman Williams instruction. You can't get nowhere nowadays trying to outpoint fellows in the ring. He instructed, "It's mighty hard for a colored boy to win decisions. The dice is loaded against you. You got to knock them out and keep knocking them out to get anywhere. Let your right fist be your referee. Don't ever forget that. Let that right fist there be your referee." Blackburn converted Joe into a more aggressive fighter who stalked his foe, a, a relatively easy task since Joe was more comfortable shuffling flat-footed than trying to dance around on the, on the balls of his feet. Over time, he became, he became highly effective in crowding his opponents, slicing the ring into a small kill zone, and blocking all, es- all escape routes. Uh-huh. Blackburn also worked to improve Joe's left jab, which had, which had been a hallmark of Blackburn and all the fighters he'd coached. Joe had always demonstrated a powerful hook coming from that side, but with Blackburn's help, he developed a pissing-like lead which, with which to create an opening in his opponent's defense. Blackburn spent hours sparring with Joe, showing him how to block punches without ducking and stressing balance at all times. He preached that a fighter, properly balanced, could pick off a punch and fire off two, three, or more of his own in return. Joe developed into a terrific counterpuncher. Whatever he told me to do in that ring, I did, said Joe. I used to be clumsy-footed when I was a kid in Alabama. When I began with Blackburn, he saw things I didn't know about myself. He saw I couldn't follow a left hook with a right without picking up one foot. He said it was no good, that a fighter had to keep both feet planted on the canvas to get power or to take a punch. He soon had me throwing a series of punches. He was the best teacher anybody ever had. Wow. So that's, so that's what, you know, you can, you can see this, you know. I, I like to read it because he did a great job summarizing how, you know, like, what Blackburn's was doing and right. how he was, you know, tr- you know, training Joe, but um, but I just, I, I you know, I, I just, I mean, I, you know, I, I love just, they call each other Chappie. That's what I'm saying. That's kind of where I want to end here. That's why we call this episode Chappie because, you know, like I say, you know, now having heard the story of what that meant, you know, yeah. the name Chappie, it's just such a poignant thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just you know, and especially like say seeing, seeing, hearing about it now or seeing it in the, you know, in the, you know, in in a movie. Where there's you know you know flashing to like the story of Rocky as we were talking about with the you know Rocky and Mickey you know his trainer you know Rocky and Mickey such a cool you know duo but now imagine Chappie 
Yeah. Right? Imagine uh, Joe yeah. and Jack Blackburn, and it's Chappie in the Chappie. movie. It's just the greatest thing. It's just uh, it's, the coolest thing. And it's just, you know, back and forth. So it's probably what started calling them that, and then... It's like you just started throwing it back at the other one. Yeah, that's well. That's I've, I, I, you're right. I've, I've, it's just, I've thought about how that nickname evolved. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've thought it, exactly and how it evolved for both of them. And yeah, so he's the like personal. You're calling thing, me yeah. Chappy. I'm yeah. gonna call you Chappy. I can, and they're just back and forth and, and volleying. I wrote, with I wrote that. that into the screenplay too. With yeah. My own belief of how it would have happened the very first time. You know, and I think so too. I think it was. I think it was Jack calling Joe Chappy over and over and over and over. Like, hey, come on, Chap, come on, Chap. You know, Chappy, whatever. And then eventually, one time, Joe did something that it was, and then he smiled how's and called that it. Chappy? How's that, chap? Yeah, you know, like yeah, this yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. Like he, maybe he taught, maybe he taught Jack Blackburn something, yeah, and he yeah, used yeah. it as like a, you know, it was a response. Uh, and so then it started going back and forth, and that. Made, but the thing about it is, that coming up, you know, that nickname, that moment. It's not. It's not a leap to see mm-hmm. that that moment most likely would have been very early on in the training, right. in that in that moment where that nickname started being bandied back and forth between the two might have been a serious glue, a serious beginning of a bond with those two, with these right. two. You know that led to you know there's you know that led to you know when you have a bond like with, with Mike Tyson, you know, and Mike Tyson's famous trainer Customato was like. Everything to him. He said right. it was like his dad. You I, yeah, know? I was going to say, how long did uh, Blackburn stay with Joe? Well, for many years, all the okay. way through the 40s. I think oh, it was wow. like the, okay. yeah, 40, I think it was like 42 or 43, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, he was there for a for a long time. He was certainly there through all you know through all the, through through the, the big, big fights. Yeah, okay. the early the, especially early on. Yeah, and so um, but that's what I mean. Like it's uh, you know there's it, that's what's so cool about that is when you see just the name of that, you can sort of dive down the rabbit hole and, yeah. and use your own thought. Um, to for and can see that you know that's where this you know this bond between them potentially even began with mm-hmm. when they started bandying that nickname back and forth between each other and then could you imagine John Rocks uh, uh, Roxborough and Julian Black seeing these guys calling them each other chappy and then they're just like you know I mean they're like dude this is gonna be awesome yeah. you know these guys are bonded uh, they're you know Joe, look at Joe's like you know learning how to fight you know and all this like this is the coolest thing in the world you know they're so just, but we're training right so yeah, what's the what's, train what's uh, they're getting ready this, this is where we're gonna leave off today but but they're getting ready because Joe's gonna turn pro okay he's, so like there's no time for wasting because he's gonna fight a bunch of fights so while in he's training is he still is he still doing occasional amateur fights here no there? he's no longer an amateur he's, he's ready he's, he's straight pro he's so he's just training, yeah. putting on the his, weight. He's putting on weight, getting you know, you know yeah, getting Built, shape, up and, learning how to fight in a professional environment. And in, in the meantime, his you know his managers are looking at you know they're booking fights for him. And the goal, I, I love the photos though. Oh, I they're, yeah, the, they're amazing. I, you know, just and it does. It looks like yeah. it's such a bond. Yeah, it's just these two guys. Yeah, and so and so the the goal for the managers now was they had to you know they had to find other professional fighters. But what they were looking for was is to they, you know you don't want to put Joe up against some superstar right, right. off the bat. He's yeah. a raw bones coming out of the amateur ranks, and he also skipped a year. Because they were saying, you know, you should, this is his first time ever fighting as a heavyweight. You know, right. he's been fighting as a light heavyweight all the way up to this point. Yeah. And so now, light heavyweight and heavyweight pro. Yeah. So now so. he's going from light heavyweight as an amateur to a heavyweight pro. So he's fighting a whole different size of 
uh, you know, boxers. Right, now. right. So and they have different styles. Different, different. Yeah. Now, as a heavyweight, they could be as big as they wanted. You right, know. I mean, yeah. now they could be massive. And before they were capped at one seventy five, so they're always going to be right around his size. And so, but you know, now as a heavy, he's got to, he can fight any number of guys. Mm-hmm, they can be as big mm-hmm, as they mm-hmm. want. But the heavy where's all the money is. So you got to you know? be like the right hand, be your referee. Exactly. You got to yeah. So but You're the not thing looking of, for the, a so the decision. job of the, yeah. So the job of the managers, the job of Roxborough and Julian Black, the, their job going forward um, was to find you know to start him off with fighters that were like. You know, they they you know sort of like low level, low tier pros, uh-huh. and sort of build build him up, and so that he would get increasingly more and more difficult fights. You know, that's something that's not to be overlooked either. Is is that the the matchups that he had early on? You know, he had to get some confidence, he had to get some wins. You know what I mean? He had to start building. You know, the goal was to build him up against progressively more and more difficult fighters right. until such times he was getting such biggest. You know, like the biggest fighters. You know, so we're gonna get into a fight next. Uh, that's we're gonna next start. Episode? Joe's pro pro career is gonna start right. next in this is next it, episode. Uh, yeah. we, is it his very first fight? Is that uh, it's his first pro fight? Uh, is it okay? Yeah, that's what we're gonna I get into. I can't wait. To, I, know, I can't wait to hear mean. about it. So we've got the you know we've laid the foundation for for the you know the backdrop of Joe Lewis, where he came from, how he Man. got there. It's just that's what I'm saying. Like it's such a tremendous. It's, such yeah. a tremendous. He's just like, you know, it's it's a phenomenal story. It's mm-hmm. a phenomenal story. I, I just, I you know, name dropping, but you know, meeting his son and talking to his son and and how how you know how much he admires his dad and and the reverence he has for sure. his dad and it's how he tries to keep the legacy uh, alive in a very positive way. Um, it, it's it's so cool. I'm I'm so I'm so excited to to unfold this yeah. in, in a respectful way, and then uh, uh, but that's what get I mean, him like, on and talk about but it. But we you know, but we have you know there's so many there's so many things in Detroit with Joe Lewis on it. Yeah. You know, there's the Cobo Hall statue. There's the fist. There's this massive fist in downtown Detroit. Yeah. I mean, anybody that anybody that comes to Detroit as a tourist. And sees this fist, right. which is like what well, I don't even know how big it is. It's like uh, yeah. fifty feet long or something. Uh, yeah, it's this yeah. huge fist, four lanes wide. And then man. there's a hockey arena, a hockey arena named after a boxer. Yeah, there's, that's unique across the world. Where, where <laughs> anywhere is any arena named after a boxer like right. that? You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, but the thing about it is, is that it's just that guy. By man. and large, across the city, across the state, across the country. The story of Joe Lewis is largely unknown. Yeah. I mean, like, people recognize the name. They know he was a boxer. They know this. But I don't think they recognize, I don't think they realize not just the story, but just how good he was. Mm. This guy, I mean, you look at Boxing America, the Ring magazine, he's still listed as the number one hardest puncher in the history of boxing. Oh. Number one. Joe, <clears throat> like, he's, you know, he, he's a consistently ranked as, the, as one of, if not the greatest fighters greatest boxers ever mm. and this is where that story begins and that's what i'm saying like that's some you know i, I, I love this stuff man yeah. so uh, i can't wait i can't wait to really bring it out on film because there again we've said this before there's never been like a hollywood a-list blockbuster movie with joe lewis and it's it's and it's one of the and i mean it's something that needs to be told and it's a story that i think is going to have you know in this world that we currently live in with all the issues and all this I think that it's going to be a tremendous story to bring out. You know, well, I think there's a ton of relevance. Thank you for writing the books. My pleasure. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Back. Thank you for getting involved with this whole project, James. For uh, his book. And, oh yeah. Uh, like I said, I'd thank love to me meet him. for the City yeah. of Champions podcast. Well, I, absolutely. I, I do thank you, Jamie. <laughs> no, I, I, I appreciate it. So, and thanks to everybody who's uh, listening and watching uh, the videos and the audio podcast. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Uh, like, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, 
yeah, follow on, on uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube. And then uh, uh, say hi, leave a comment. We appreciate it. Uh, until next time, uh, put them up, put them up.